0: I'm Autumn Lockett,
1: and this is Mitch Randall,
0: and you're listening to Good Faith Weekly.
1: Welcome to Good Faith Weekly on this episode a week before Christmas. Autumn and I are going to catch up because I've been out of town in New York City for a while. We're going to talk about upcoming Christmas holiday and travel plans. We're going to talk about the latest terrifying storm outbreak across eight states last week. And then later in the pod, we're going to get into talking a little bit about the weirdness of all of this and what's going on in our country with Omicron and climate change. We uh, interviewed this week a wonderful missionary from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, Jeff Lee, who's in North Macedonia. He was actually attendee at cop 26 this last year had a great conversation with him and his experience there and what he thinks about all of this so lots going on in this episode so you're going to want to stay tuned hey autumn guess what time of year it is halloween no thanksgiving no
0: it's too early for christmas people keep telling me
1: it is a little too early for christmas no it's the time of year when nonprofits ask for money you know, Mitch,
0: I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Well, It is an exciting time of year, because even here at Good Faith Media, we need to, from time to time, ask our listeners and readers to help support this great effort of keeping this message alive.
0: Yeah, the voices of inclusive people of faith are tragically underrepresented, yep. leaving many feeling alone. And then we layered in this global pandemic, yep. which pushed all of us further into isolation. But... Good Faith Media provides a space for our voices to unite and impact the world for good.
1: And our daily news and opinion pieces provide thoughtful reflection from spiritual and thoughtful leaders around the world.
0: Our Nurturing Faith Journal is a print magazine that circulates six times a year to churches and households nationwide, delivering thoughtful analysis, inspiring features, and Jesus' Focused Bible study curriculum.
1: And if you like this podcast, Good Faith Weekly, make certain to subscribe to more exciting and challenging podcasts brought to you by the Good Faith Media Podcast Network. Gather around your device as GFM continues advocating for inclusion for all, justice for all, and freedom for all. You can find more information about this at goodfaithmedia.org forward slash donate. Autumn, I'm back from New York City, baby.
0: How was it?
1: It was glorious. I have never been to New York City uh, during the Christmas holiday season, and it what? was magical. But before I get into that, let me just say, I was up there doing the Lord's work, Autumn. Uh, as... Kind of like
0: when you did the Lord's work in the Bahamas <laughs> at
1: Starlight and Cliff. Hey, yeah. everybody it's needs... A hard
0: knock life, little orphan
1: Everybody needs Jesus. I uh, mean... <laughs> I just, I just go where the Holy Spirit leads me, Autumn, I mean, whether that's the Bahamas. Why were you in New York? What were you doing
0: for Jesus, Mitch?
1: There's this wonderful congregation in Brooklyn, New York, Greenwood Baptist Church. Uh, shout out to them and their pastor, Willa Johnson. Um, the congregation saw the initiative that we started along with some partner organizations months ago called Respite for Reps. We recognize that our local clergy have just been through the ringer this last two years. And so we thought, what can we do to just a simple act of kindness to let them know we're thinking about them, we love them, give them a little rest and respite. And so Greenwood reached out to us say, hey, we want to give our pastor some time off uh, during the holiday season. Would you be willing to come out and preach for us uh, on Sunday morning? So they invited me up. I got to spend Sunday with them. It was a historic experience. It was a great church, 163 years old there in Brooklyn, New York. Just a beautiful facility, wonderful congregation. Just had a great time. So that's what I was doing in New York. I was really doing uh, the Lord's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, in, you know, also, you know, crossed uh, the East River and went over into Manhattan and uh, had a good time there as well. I got to see Rockefeller Center, got to see the tree at night, along with about several million other people from around the world. Uh, But it was was beautiful and glorious, and uh, there's nothing like New York City during the holiday season.
0: Okay, but there's also nothing like returning to Norman, Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, I returned to Norman, Oklahoma to, uh, let's just say, a gust of wind that reached, I think, what, 80 miles an hour yesterday? Mm
0: -hmm. My friend said it blew her glasses off her face. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, it was crazy. We just have, you know, I, I was waiting for, I, I was looking out my window here in my office and I was just, th- kept seeing, you know, trash and stuff blow by. And eventually I was just going to, I knew I was going to see one of the little children get out of school, just, you know, plaster up against my window because the wind was blowing so hard. And <laughs> <laughs> the
0: the weather's been a little tricky.
1: It has been a little crazy, you know, uh, coming off of last week. Oh my gosh, such horrible, horrible news coming out of Kentucky and uh, the eight other states where tornadoes ripped through that area last week, uh, killing over a hundred uh, people. It was just it was just terrifying. You know, you and I were at church that Thursday night. Uh, your children were in a musical, which was brilliant, by the way. It was just absolutely brilliant. It was just wonderful. But uh, living here in Norman, Oklahoma, where the National Weather Service is headquartered, you get a lot of people who work for the National Weather Service in our congregation, in our community, and I was talking to uh, one of our fellow church members who's an employee of the National Weather Service that night and he told me before the storms broke out that this this was going to be bad. Uh, it's nocturnal uh, storm system and the way it was shaping up uh, that it was it was going to cost uh, a lot of lives and he was right unfortunately and it certainly did and it was just it was terrifying and so our, our, our prayers and our support uh, go out to those local communities, wherever you go to church, wherever you go to synagogue or mosque, I'm quite certain your faith organization has a relief fund. They're helping those, uh, in need. So please consider giving to those, uh, there in those areas because they desperately need it because many of them have just lost everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I just, as a quick, like tip to our listeners who may not live in a storm prone area. I think the thing that was the most startling to me, um, you know, I grew up in central Texas and we'd have severe weather, but, and I can remember like being in the school gym and tornado position a couple of times. (laughs) And what is that position? Well, you're like, it's it's not dissimilar to the prayer position for our muslim friends (laughs) except you just like want to tuck a little harder um, to protect your vital organs that's
1: exactly right yeah
0: although it does leave your spine exposed so i never really quite understood how that worked but i will just say you know moving to oklahoma you really have to become weather aware and there was There were a few years there where it was really popping here after we moved. And just a a quick few tips, because I know there are areas that are being hit by tornadoes and severe storms like this that have not typically. So I'm just going to have a quick weather corner. I'm going to be your weather girl. okay? And I'm going to say that. Teach your kids um, to get to the most inner part of your house Mm -hmm. uh our kiddos all have bike helmets that they put on um that it's also their tornado helmet because a lot of times the damage that comes to your body from a tornado is not like you got sucked up into it like the movie twister but it's from debris flying closed toed shoes long pants um bottles of water whistles so people could hear you in case you're covered there you know there's some really simple things that you can do find an interior room with no windows throw all the couch cushions on top of you these are the things that can save you and your children and your friends' lives. So be weather aware.
1: And that, my friends, is your PSA from <laughs> Autumn Locket at Good Faith Media. <laughs> Always my serving anxiety, the community.
0: Listen, Mitch, My anxiety will feel better if our listeners know how to be safe <laughs> in tornadoes. <laughs>
1: I totally get it. Totally, totally get it. So, Well, uh, again, we we just uh, really, our hearts are broken for those uh, people in uh, those states, especially Kentucky, who has hit the hardest. Um, You know, it's just another example of weird weather that we've been having over the last decade or so. Uh, A lot of people are asking the question, you know, tornadoes of this capacity. We just don't have these kind of tornadoes in the month of December. Usually those are spring events. But here we are, you know, almost two weeks into December and we're having these kind of storms erupt across uh, the country. In places
0: they don't usually erupt. Like the weather, whole systems are changing and moving. Yeah.
1: So a lot of people are asking the question, is this a direct result of climate change and global warming? You know, I contend... It is absolutely a direct result of what's going on. Uh, climate change is producing extreme weather. This is another extreme example of that. And you and I got to sit down with uh, Jeff Lee this week, and we're going to talk to him a little bit later on in the episode, who is a missionary with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, but has a master's degree or he's got a doctorate degree uh, in some kind of environmental management um, uh, field and. Uh, does work there in North Macedonia uh, with locals uh, talking about climate change and uh, environmental and agricultural issues. But he attended COP26 uh, months ago there in Glasgow and has a great report for us on that. But we've got to take this more seriously. Uh, We've got to really put uh, tangible goals in front of ourselves, not only governmental goals, but as well as individual goals to address climate change and global warming and do our part so that we can reverse the damage that's been done and, you know, try to, try to figure out some kind of normalcy or return to some kind of normalcy. We've been talking about that during the pandemic, but we also need to do the same thing uh, environmentally as well. So uh, stay tuned for the interview with Jeff Lee. Well, Christmas is coming up. Autumn, what do you got planned for Christmas?
0: Well, you know, we have four kids, so Christmas planning for us starts in August, so I start present buying and wrapping, and we have some family coming in this weekend, we usually spend uh, Christmas Day, just the six of us at home, and then we'll be going down to Texas for the weekend of New Year's, so just traveling and And soaking up the the season with the kiddos. That sounds
1: delightful. Well, I wish you and your family the very merriest of Christmas and holiday season. Now, I have to say, you know, there's going to be some gifts around the tree. This is going to be the first time that our family has actually split up on Christmas morning. Our oldest son is staying out in California. Our youngest son is back from college. But uh, it's the first time that we have ever spent time away from one another on Christmas Day, so it's going to be a little bit uh, sad for us around here in the Randall House. I bet I
0: could loan you a kid or two if you get lonely. <laughs> By about so. two o'clock, I'm like, okay, folks. <laughs> uh, you, you go into Doc's house. Uh, got it. That's right. <laughs> uh,
1: but our family probably received the very best Christmas present that we could have ever received. Um, well, there's no doubt about it. It is the best Christmas present that we've received ever. And that was two days ago. Uh, we went over to Tulsa where my brother and sister in law finalized the adoption of their son. He's been in foster care for a little over two years now. Um, it's been touch and go whether they were going to get to keep him or not. But finally, uh, it was uh, the judge issued the order, uh, the decree that they are now his parents officially he is the cutest little two-year-old uh, in the world four days. <laughs> He is adorable. He is filled with energy. The kid never stops, but, uh, you know, hey, you know, I'll take it. But uh, we're really excited. It was a great little moment for our family, especially my brother and sister-in-law. I just, they're incredible people. Both of them are public school teachers, uh, just salt of the earth. Uh, they've got a little one of their own and um, and just, uh, just, just a beautiful family and uh, his two older half sisters were there or his two sisters were there, uh, to, to celebrate the event as well. It's just, it was just a great time. And so, uh, what when, a, what a when great When I moment. think
0: about like what the world needs in 2022, it's definitely another Randall boy. So we're all <laughs> thrilled about this news.
1: That's right. He is really into dinosaurs and, uh, Missy, my wife, uh, had this little t-shirt made for him and it's, has the date on it and says the newest Randallosaurus and got a picture <laughs> of the dinosaur on it. <laughs> so. so cute. So cute.
0: Love seeing those pictures. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks. Well, it, it was a great time and just a, a great reminder of what Christmas is all about. And, you know, just seeing his smiles and laughter and, seeing the tears and smiles on my brother and sister-in-law my parents as well. We're just, we're just magical. And I was just so thankful to be there and so thankful that this moment came to my family. Well, Autumn, I don't, uh, I guess we've got one more episode before Christmas. So, uh, I'm going to give you a, uh, a Merry Christmas already, but next week will be our Christmas episode. And kind of what I was thinking is that let's just bring in the staff next week and let's talk to oh, them and so just have a, a, a fun time celebrating Christmas uh, on our Christmas episode. So I think it's going to be really, really cool. So uh, so we'll look forward to uh, gathering with everybody next week for our Christmas episode. Until then, make certain you stick around and listen to our interview with Jeff Lee because he had a lot of information important, informative things to say about climate change in COP26. So stay tuned for that interview.
0: I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, director of the Raceless Gospel Initiative at Good Faith Media and host of the Raceless Gospel podcast. The Advent season is coming, and we're delivering a podcast. Jesus is coming. It's an Advent podcast series from us at Good Faith Media. We'll drop four episodes, one for each Sunday of Advent. A season of preparation for a kingdom that is coming. Back up! Give everyone some space. There is plenty good room. Come one, come all, to Jesus. Jesus is Coming, an Advent podcast series by me, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at
1: goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest all the way from North Macedonia. Jeff Lee and his family live in North Macedonia. He lives there with his wife and son. They are field personnel with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Jeff completed a Doctor of Management in Environmental and Social Sustainability from Colorado Technical University in 2019. He provides environmental consulting for companies and organizations that seek to improve their corporate social responsibility actions and mitigate their impact on the environment. Jeff also works in the area of agricultural development, assisting local producers and processors with their agricultural production. Jeff is an action researcher that provides consultation and facilitation for working and working with companies and organizations to identify areas where they can identify their carbon footprint and use the available assets to coach the company to make a plan to reduce their carbon footprint. He's also an expert in facilitating a shift towards agricultural sustainability. He is an expert in interpreting environmental law. In fact, he's an expert about anything when it comes to environmentalism. <laughs> he helps organizations and create significant environmental pol- uh, policies and appropriate enforcement procedures and helps organizations build pollution prevention plans and create environmental impact assessments. And in his spare time, he loves his family and does great work for the local church there in North Macedonia. <laughs> so, Jeff, Welcome to Good Faith Weekly.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Uh,
1: Autumn, he sounds like, you know, he's he's kind of busy. What do you think?
0: I, I don't know how he has time to do much of anything. No, that's the <laughs> main thing. But you're do, what you're doing is so good. So that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start out with your attendance at COP26 in Scotland. Um, COP26 is the United Nations Conference on the Parties to Bring Together Countries for Global Climate Summits. Jeff, we are gonna talk about the positives and the negatives here in a bit, but as an attendee, what did you experience?
2: Well, this was uh, very exciting for me. I've always wanted to go. Uh, this was my first time to go. So um, oh. it was, uh, I was open book. I was just like, let's go, let's let's find out as much information as I can. I went with an organization called uh, uh, Christian Climbing Christian Climate Observers Program. And uh, we were a faith-based group um, from United States and we had participants from Canada, uh, me from Macedonia, we had some from Africa. And the point was for us to come into uh, the area and to be rubbing shoulders with those who are doing the negotiations, and be an observer and hold them accountable for what they said, what they plan to do. And so we were really, really excited about going to it.
1: Well, it sounds like it sounded like an incredible uh, gathering of world leaders. Uh, you know, probably my most important question I'm going to ask you today is, did you get to meet Greta Thunberg or, or did you at least get to see her?
2: <laughs> I get I got to see her. Uh, she was surrounded by many people. Um, but way over in the distance I saw her and um, she was speaking uh, on the stage and was leading the crowd um, of, of activists and and yeah, so she was there and I got to see her.
1: Because and- I, I mean, I know there was a lot of, you know, global leaders there from around the world, but let's just face facts. She was the rock star of... Uh- <laughs> yeah, <yes>. she, <laughs> was- she is a rock star and she, is,
2: she has an entourage around her. And one of my friends uh, that was in our organization was able to be up there front with her and just kind of be... Uh, crowd control for her so uh, yeah so it was was a fun experience to be a part of that i let the young people uh (laughs) real real close to her but i i I really enjoyed hearing from her and from others as well other activists were there
1: Well, it sounds like it was an incredible experience, Uh, you know, lots going on, a lot of activities, a lot of speeches, a a lot of rhetoric, but hopefully that rhetoric turned into some actions. So, you know, after you've had an opportunity to uh, process the experience, to see some of the statements and goals that came out of COP26, um, uh, Jeff, what, in your opinion, what are some of the most positive elements that came from the meeting?
2: Yeah. Well, I think for me, a lot of uh, positive came from the activists. Um, They were there in force. There were so many people, I think, uh, in the blue zone, which is the area where all the negotiations were taking place and the presentations and the pavilions were in the blue zone. they One day they recorded 40,000 people. Wow. Which is a huge number. And being in the middle of COVID, uh, I it was a as a logistical nightmare for those mm-hmm. in charge. But uh I think that that highlights the the need for us to do something now, to act. Uh, we are on the cusp of uh right here on the edge of, of what we can do as as a uh, as a people on this earth, that we have to do something and and I think that was highlighted by the amount of people there. And then outside the area, the blue zone, there was also thousands of activists, uh, young people marching, uh, protesting, um, making their voices heard as much as they could. Um, and and they were trying to, to do that. So I think that was a very positive thing. I think there was also another positive that uh, the... The the language had shifted. Um, It's it's no longer, uh, there was no question about what we were facing. We were facing a a catastrophic environmental crisis, and we have to do some action. And so uh, that is no longer in question. Um, We have to act. And so the, the language reflected that.
1: Now, Jeff, that is a very interesting assessment of, of just a, a language change. Um, why do you think that why do you think that occurred pre, pre you know, from this meeting to previous meetings, that there's a recognition now that this this issue is not something that's gonna happen in the future. It's happening right now before our eyes. Well,
2: I think there was a, a number of things that were driving that. Case in point, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic that is impacting people. Uh, and that impact is also felt um, globally. And the environmental crisis is also a global impact as well. And and they are connected in, in a myriad of ways uh, moving forward. And then we have severe weather Uh, This last year, you know, being from Texas, uh, my family, my friends in Texas, in February went through a a severe blizzard, and uh, the electricity, the power was out for weeks. My my parents were out of power for, I think, ninety six hours. So that is a significant concern, and so people see it. People read about it people hear about it on social media and the news and people are understanding this is an issue mm-hmm. we see it we feel it we are impacted by it and so i think uh that that has caused people to change their mind and really caused global leaders to say okay we see this we we hear you we're we're trying now let's 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 do something about this
1: and what were some of the things they discussed about doing? Because I mean, obviously, the big goal is to try to keep global warming under that 1.5 Celsius degree increase, uh, because that seems to be the tipping point that everybody is looking towards. Mm-hmm. There's some people that suggest there's probably no way in the world we're going to, to achieve that goal. But the participants of COP twenty six seem to to, under, to begin to at least understand this is what we need to do. So, what goals did they put into place? What are they going to actually do? Because you know, one of the things I mentioned, Greta Thunberg, the other day, she, in, in her speech says, you know, it's just blah 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 from your world leaders. It's just nothing but talk. What are they actually going to do that is going to be positive that addresses climate change?
2: Yes. Well, I think the the one. There were several positives, but one of them I want to talk about in particular was that um, the United States was there. The United Mm -hmm. States came, uh, uh, Special Envoy John Kerry was there the whole time. He was in meetings all the time. And I think uh, their presence there really highlighted that uh, they're kind of now driving it again. They're back where they should be moving this discussion forward Um, and not only were they present they were actually making uh making proclamations and saying this is what we're going to do so on the first day that we were there uh uh there was an announcement by the biden administration uh several announcements one of them was that um The United States is going to quadruple the amount of money that they're giving to developing countries to address environmental, uh, to address climate change, uh, mitigation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one that was very important was um, the deforestation pledge. The United States and another hundred countries in the world have pledged to end deforestation by the year 2030. Now, as Gruta, Greta has said, blah, 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 talk is, is, is cheap, but they have to actually do these things. So this is something that we have to hold them accountable to. Uh, another announcement that they made uh, was a methane pledge. Mm. Another 100-plus countries have made a pledge to decrease the amount of methane that they release into the atmosphere by 30% by the year 2030. So these are very tangible steps moving forward, and again, as we said, we have to hold them accountable to this. And so it's not just empty words, but it is actually action steps moving forward. And Jeff, that's a great
1: so, that's a great point. Um, you know, they, they, these global leaders, these countries, come out of COP 26 with these goals, and they're very uh, attainable goals. They're very worthy goals of, of trying to, to meet. This reduction of, of a carbon footprint uh, and methane gas uh, in the world, um, who keeps them accountable? Are, are, they, are they are they keeping themselves accountable? The <laughs> Holy Spirit, that's a big job.
2: <laughs> well, well, that is a good question. Who keeps people accountable? Um, well, I, it could be a couple of people, or not people, a couple of things. Uh, one, each other. Mm. Uh, you know, they'd be like. Well, you remember last year, uh, this country, you said, you're going to do this. Have you done it? Well, we haven't done it. Well, other countries are are able to hold each other accountable through uh, policy, through uh, uh, international relations. Um, uh,
1: do you, Jeff, do you think we're, there, we're to a point now where with climate change and global warming, do you think we're at a point now uh, globally and this is a socio-political question that it is at the same level where we would look at a country who is violating human rights, um, you know, violating you know treaties with their you know fellow uh, surrounding countries. Is it time now, when these countries and the United States included, do not meet this criteria and these goals that are set? at these meetings, that it's time for other countries to look at putting sanctions on these countries, to put pressure on them to meet these goals. Are we at that point yet?
2: Uh, I agree, I think we are. I think uh, the mechanism is, is not in place for that yet, but I think that that's where it should be. Uh, we should view this as a, a global crisis, uh, just like human rights uh, and, and war and famine and all these other things that are global problems, climate change is a global problem. Mm -hmm. And we need to have uh, governments, uh, organizations, international organizations hold these countries accountable for what they do when it comes to the environment. Mm -hmm. Um, For too long, uh, many countries, and mostly, unfortunately, it's been developed countries, have had carte blanche on What they could do uh, environmentally, pollution, uh, using uh, uh, fossil fuels endlessly, being carbon emissions without any restrictions. Now we need to change that and we need to move that way and hold each other accountable. And then at the same time, we have a responsibility for the developing world to help them achieve these same standards. Because uh, they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the financial tools available to them mm-hmm. to uh, move their economies towards one that is mitigating against climate change. Mm-hmm. And that's where developing uh, developed countries have a responsibility because in the past, they're the ones that have taken all the resources away from these developing countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, Now it's our turn to to pay it back. Mm -hmm. We've taken through colonialism uh, for centuries. We have taken resources away from the global South, uh, and and now we have to give that back Mm -hmm. in order to do that, uh, in order to have them uh, mitigate against climate change.
1: Well, there was a lot of attention on COP26, and we appreciate your attendance there. Uh, It seemed as though there was uh, more coverage at this meeting than, uh, or or at least equal to what happened in Paris uh, during the Paris uh, climate agreement. Obviously the United States and the Trump administration pulled out of that agreement. Uh, As you just stated earlier, the United States was back at the table finally leading, uh, leading the charge in addressing global uh, climate change. So uh, we appreciate your attendance there, your assessment of it. We do hope and we hope beyond hopes that good can come from this meeting and that the words that were delivered at COP26 turn into tangible actions and that all of us can be hold one another accountable because we've only got one planet, we've got to take care of it, and we've got to reverse the harm that we've done uh, when it comes to global warming. But there is a group of people who say that we may have crossed a threshold, and I think Autumn's got a question about that.
0: Yeah, so the New York Times editorial board just rolled out 193 stories demonstrating how climate change is harming the planet and its people. Uh, they stated very clearly that humanity has failed. Which sounds just really, really um, gloomy. Uh, Jeffrey, what do you think? Have we failed the environment?
2: Um, I understand the sentiment. Um, it is. It feels like we have failed. But I... I'm an optimist. I think there is still hope. I still think that we can we can get through this if uh, we work together. Um, but I do understand, and I see it every day in the work that I do that the failed uh, situation of environmental de- degradation, climate change. I feel the impacts in the work that I do every day, and it is hard to have hope. Mm-hmm. And I. Uh, I understand why the New York Times put that out. um, It is devastating. Mm -hmm. Climate change is devastating. It is impacting Mm -hmm. so many people. And unfortunately, the ones that are feeling the brunt of that are the ones in the worst situation. Uh, Poor communities, uh, developing countries, the global south is impacted most by climate change, yet they're the ones least responsible for it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it's, it's I feel it. It is very hard to look with hope in this situation. Uh, despair is a very common thing and there's times where I feel it, but I do think, I do believe that we still have hope. I do believe that there is an opportunity for us to reverse some of these uh, trends and uh, have mitigation, the, mitigate the worst impacts of climate change and actually move forward as a society in, in a new normal.
1: Right, Jeffy, th- those were great answers. I agree with everything you just said. There are two things I want to follow up on. One is the point that you made about how, Uh, Climate change, global warming affects the least of these. You know, here recently in the United States, just last week, we had a set of tornadoes cross eight states in December, killing almost 100 people. And most likely it's going to be over 100 once uh, this is all said and done. We don't get these kind of tornadoes in December here in the United States. That's usually a spring activity. But if the assessments hold, we had a tornado on the ground for 250 miles. That would be a record here in the United States. We've seen stronger hurricanes. We've seen. You mentioned your parents going through the, the polar vortex uh, last winter and the extreme the, the extreme cold temperatures in the winter. Uh, you know, we here in we live autumn and I live in Oklahoma, central part of the state. You know, we saw below uh, t- below zero temperatures for several days in a row. Uh, it was just it was crazy. We'd never seen weather kind of like that.
0: Mitch, you got to tell them how many roofs you've had.
1: (laughs) Okay. So I've lived currently in this home for almost 15 years now. Um, I am working on my fifth roof uh, because it's been destroyed by hell storms over 15 years. I mean, that is ridiculous. I just, I can't imagine. I mean, just the economical, uh, or the economic devastation that this has caused is is just, you know, astounding, not to mention the loss of life, as I mentioned a moment ago. But this, my question is this, we've, you know, we see this extreme weather. We see droughts across the world. We see, I'll never forget sitting on a hillside with a Kenyan farmer, uh, outside of Nairobi, and him telling me that the weather has changed. They can no longer predict the dry and rainy seasons. They try to plant, they plant, it either dries up or get washed away by downpours. The weather is changing, climate change is real, it affects the very least of these. As a person of faith, as a Christian, Jeff, how can we say that we're fulfilling the commandment or obeying the commandment of Jesus to love God and love others if we do not take climate change seriously?
2: We can. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if 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 you're not exactly you're you're supposed to be caring for the least of these. Mm-hmm. Um and scripture is very clear about that, that our calling is to meet the needs of the poor and the needy. And sure, we could go physically and bring bring them physical goods and services. Yes. But the bigger picture is if we are continuing to cause damage to the climate, to the environment where they're living, that is not taking care of. That is not uh, feeding the needy, clothing the naked, and visiting uh, the poor and then prison. That is not what we're doing by continuingly to turn a blind eye towards the impacts of climate change. Uh, The climate is being devastated uh, in these poor communities around the world, and one way that we could do to fulfill that commandment that, that Christ gives us is to change our behavior when it comes to the environment, individually, as a community, as a state, as a nation, and as a global society. We have to change our behavior when it comes to the environment.
1: And then the, the, the second thing I want to follow up on is that, that mention of it seems as though things have changed, especially in the last two years. The rhetoric uh, has gotten a lot more serious. Uh, people are more open to action. Uh, you know, there's been... For decades now, scientists talking about climate change, global warming, uh, and there have been climate change deniers, global warming deniers. We've got a a state filled with them here in Oklahoma. One of the chief climatologists at the University of Oklahoma used to tell me he would go around the state and tell people that the temperature is increasing over a period of time, and they wouldn't believe him. And he would say, I'm telling you, the only thing I do is I send up a balloon in the atmosphere every day. I bring that balloon down and I write the temperature down that that balloon records. Here's what I'm saying. That number is increasing over time and they won't believe them. But you think that there, we, the the attitudes are finally changing. Do you, what, what, I know you said the global pandemic has probably brought that about, but do you think people are really starting
0: to believe in that either though?
1: (laughs) Well, that's true. Um, (laughs) What do you think has brought about this change? And I, I, I'm so, I want to have hope, Jeff, give me hope that things are changing.
2: Well, um, I would say one thing, one way that things are changing is people are experiencing. it. Right. Um, you just mentioned the, the tornadoes uh, through, through that part of the, the country this last week, uh, severe weather, drought famine uh people are experiencing it and they can can't you know they'll be like oh when i when i was a kid this this thing happened this weather thing was every year on this day it started snowing every there was the the wet season started then the dry season started then farmers who had been planting the same crop for generations are not able to produce as much because of the weather change so people are are feeling it physically and seeing it you see it in the news so that is one way that this the mentality is changing um and and you know unfortunately that's what is happening we, we people have to see the devastation in order to change their mind and i'm it's sad it's 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 for me it's it breaks my heart that it took them so long to to change their mind and there's so much destruction. Yeah. But when you go to other places around the world, like like um we had uh participants at the COP from Africa, from uh Asia, and they're like, oh yeah, we've believed in climate change for 20 years, 50 mm. years, because you know the The crop cycle has changed. The weather has changed. The rain season, the dry season. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got more severe uh, weather that occurs. um, Other environmental impacts. And so that is what changes people's mind is seeing it. What, unfortunately, is the developed world has has been isolated from that Mm -hmm. and insulated from it right yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah they they have their they can protect themselves from the most severe weather events uh and and not be as impacted as they can in sub saharan africa or southeast asia or south america but now this weather is so severe that it's even impacting, uh, the developed world, um, in the form of hurricanes and tornadoes and, uh, severe winter vortexes, uh, that, that people live through and they're like, okay, okay. You're right. Yeah. It's it's right. happening. Right. Well,
1: I hope you're right, Jeff. I mean, I really do want to have some hope and, and you're giving that to me. So I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So let's turn to your work in North Macedonia. It sounds like you're working with local agric- agriculturalists and environmentalists. How has climate change affected local agriculture there, and what are you doing to help?
2: Yeah, uh, so one of the things that I do is agricultural development. I work with, mm-hmm. uh, as you said, uh, small producers um, and, and helping them increase their production, but also reduce their resource consumption. And uh, I talk to them every day. They're always telling me about, oh, we didn't have rain enough rain this summer, or we had too much way- rain in the winter or snow. And and uh, you know they'll tell me stories of oh, when I was a kid. This this natural spring over here was flowing constantly, but now there's no water in there, so we have to drill uh, water wells in order to feed our lab water our livestock and water our crops uh to feed our family and our livestock and the market and so this is a daily discussion that i have with with them and so we work to try and find solutions uh, whether that's uh, very simple uh just different techniques on how to to grow their food to to large uh, mechanisms, machines, and other things that they could use to uh, decrease their resource consumption, and this is what we do. So we work with uh, local organizations to find funding. We work with local farmers to do education, uh, and we work through uh, these organizations to create cooperatives where they work together and. Uh, for an example, here, here's an example of some of the things that we do. Um, in Macedonia, uh, 85% of the, the dairy industry, 85% of it, comes from farmers with less than three cows. You know, one, two, or three cows. Wow. And wow. that's what's producing 85% of the dairy industry here. And so processors will then go to each of the little farms and collect their milk and then take it to a processing plant and they'll make the goods in the market, the butter, the cheese, uh, sour cream, all, all the dairy stuff. And so I work with the the producers at the, the ground level. And if they have three cows, if they had a fourth cow, that increases their production by twenty five percent. With one thing, with a cow, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or if they are able to um, feed their cows better, have higher nutrition and, and feed uh, their their environment where the cows are staying. If they increase, uh, you know, by two or three liters a day, that's that's ten percent. Ten percent of their production immediately goes up. Mm-hmm. So that's what we work with, um, trying to help them do these things. And uh, it's, it's hard work, but I love it. I the people are amazing. They work hard. They have so much expertise. Um, I learn so much from them every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. Learning from them helps me realize how not an expert I am at some <laughs> of the things that I do. But, um, mm-hmm. but they're, they're, that's what we do. And we, mm-hmm. we work with them, uh, work with other organizations to help uh, local gatherers. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, people that go into the woods and gather wild uh, goods, mushrooms and berries and sell in the market. We do that. Um, so I, I hope, I hope that, you know, by, by explaining this and sharing this, that it gives a a better picture of what's needed, not just in Macedonia, but around the world Mm -hmm. because the majority of food produced in the world is produced at a small scale. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking not just like I'm talking like 85, 90%. Of the f- food in the world is produced at small scale, uh, one family, two families producing on a small uh, acre or ha- a two acre plot. And that's where we need to be focusing our work, uh, agricultural development, is that with them, so that mm-hmm. they could increase if they increase, if every one of them increases by five to 10 percent, that will change the world. Wow. So.
1: Well, Jeff, we appreciate uh, everything you and your family are doing there in North Macedonia. And, uh, you know, all of our missionaries and social justice uh, workers across the globe are engaged in gospel type of work and kingdom type of work. And we really appreciate everything you're doing. What can our listeners do to learn more about your work there in North Macedonia and the work of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship?
2: Yes. Well, um, I, as you say, I'm a field personnel with the Property Baptist fellowship. The CBF uh, has a a website uh, where we post a lot of our information. We have blogs, not just from us, but from all the work that CBF does. Uh, It's real simple. Um, CBF.net. And it's, it's got a, you can connect with uh, field personnel around the world. You can give financially, you can find uh, resources for your for your congregation and for your community on a load of different things from. We do have uh, climate change mitigation resources, environmental justice resources there. Uh, For me personally, uh, my wife and I, we um, uh, we have social media. We have a Facebook page. It's called uh, Partnership Macedonia. Um, and we post a lot of the work that we do on, on that. Uh, you can follow us on, on Facebook uh, and Twitter. Uh, I, I, I do tweet. I do have Twitter. And so, <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and we'll so, have
0: links to all of that in our show notes. If yeah. any of you listeners want yeah. to start following.
2: Yeah. I can send you the links for that. Yeah. Um, that'd be
1: great. Well Jeff, uh we really appreciate you taking time out of your evening. Uh it's morning here in the states. It's evening over there uh, where you are.
2: Well, it's only 4 4:45 here and it's pitch black. <laughs> <Yeah>. It, it <laughs> is I'm, dark. I'm and, sure. And, It feels like it's
1: midnight. Well, we appreciate uh, everything that you have uh, informed us about. Uh, Appreciate your attendance at COP26 and and you educating us all about uh, what took place there, as well as your work there in North Macedonia. We wish you the very best. Our prayers are with you. Our encouragement's with you. Uh, We would love to have you back sometime to talk more about what's going on in the world, especially uh, with environmental justice. But before we let you go, Jeff, uh, Autumn's got one last question she asked. Every one of our guests, and this is the 99th time she's asked this question. So, uh, Autumn, it take is. it away.
0: Yes, no pressure, right?
2: No
1: pressure. Uh,
0: so, our tagline at Good Faith Media is "There's more to tell." So, in light of your work and everything we've talked about today, what is your more to tell?
2: Oh, great. Um, I mean, I would like to to really kind of highlight something else that that we do, um, and mainly what my wife does here. Uh, It's not necessarily connected to environmental justice. Um, Well, I think it is an environmental justice piece, but more of a a, a psychological environmental. Um, uh, And and just just be mindful. She she is a a school counselor here in Macedonia, and um, her work is dealing with, with students and teachers and parents and um, so many people have been impacted by COVID uh, here in Macedonia. Um, uh, the, during the height of the pandemic, uh, many people were impacted. And, and I just wanted to kind of highlight that the need for mm. people around you to support, reach out to other people. Because sometimes people might not doing so well. Yeah. And I know all of us, and around the world, have a little bit of COVID fatigue, um, but it is it is it is a devastating thing, um, and it's an, an environmental issue that um, when when human activity encroaches on the natural world, there are going to be more things like this uh, to to impact us uh, more um, pandemics that that could really be devastating. So I want to really encourage all of you, all the listeners to, to reach out to your friends and your neighbors, your family um, and, and, you know, good communication, a good say hello to your friends and family might be the encouragement that they need during this time. Uh, We're getting close to the holidays, uh, Christmas, New Year's. And um, I know the, the last two Christmases have not been normal for very many people. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we, we, yeah. So that's what I want to say. Well, that so, is a great so, reminder, yeah, Jeff. Thank it.
1: you so much because you're absolutely right. It's been a tough two years and uh, just a, a simple hello, a phone call or a, a knock on the door uh, to, to see, check on your neighbors, uh, a postcard even would be just fantastic. So a good word. I appreciate everything that both you and your wife are doing though, and uh, reminding us to do uh, around the world, taking care of each other. Well, thanks again for being our guest, and to our listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in this week, and Autumn and I will be back next week for our show right before our Christmas show. Autumn is going to be really exciting as uh, you and I celebrate Christmas uh, with others around the world, and uh, lots going on here at Good Faith Media we are excited to share about with you. Until next week, just remember, keep living
2: good faith.